Every year, 40% of food goes to waste in the U.S., 20 billion pounds of which is produce. What's more, 20% of people in the United States are food insecure, meaning they have little access to affordable and nutritious food. The situation has become even more critical these days due to the pandemic, which has created additional financial hardships for many, making it even harder to access healthy food. But one social entrepreneur is on a mission to end food waste and hunger, and he's been working extra hard to keep up during COVID. We speak with him next. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change magazine. As many of you know, I'm also the author of a book by the same name, profiling social entrepreneurs around the world and their lessons learned, which was recently released as an audiobook too. So if you're looking for a gift this holiday season for that wannabe social entrepreneur in your life, and you want to support Sea Change at the same time, check out In the Business of Change wherever you normally buy your books and audiobooks, including Amazon or on our website. On today's episode, we speak with Evan Lutz, co-founder and CEO of Hungry Harvest. In our conversation, he explains how the company sources produce that may never end up on grocery shelves because they're either ugly or overproduced, and then they deliver to people across the U.S. And they also run programs to distribute produce to people in need. Win-win. Finally, we discuss his experience as a Shark Tank alumni and how it continues to motivate and help move the company forward. My entire life, I've been fascinated by social entrepreneurship and really about the food system. Um, the food system is really has a lot of problems in it since it's become very centralized. Uh, a lot of people are left out. There's a lot of food deserts and food insecurity. Yet food uh, has never been cheaper on a percentage of the average person's uh, GDP. Uh, and how, how did this happen? How did this get this way? I thought these that, that was really interesting when I was in college at the University of Maryland. Um, we actually had to start a social enterprise in one of my classes my senior year, and I had learned a little bit about um, food waste and uh, what, why there's so much food waste on a farm or a little bit earlier in the semester from a, a farmer's presentation. And so I went out to this farm and I saw the produce for myself, what would otherwise go to waste and what was he was going to sell to his normal retail customers. To me, the untrained consumer, I couldn't tell the difference, right? And he was going to let me buy this for dirt cheap. And so I started selling five pound bags of, of uh, assorted produce for five bucks um, right outside of our student union. And the first week we had 10 customers and that increased to about 500 customers per week uh, by the end of that six months. And so we had so much momentum that I really started to do research during that time on how much food waste is total in the United States. It turns out about 20 to 40 percent of produce uh, actually goes to waste before it ever reaches a retailer. Um, in the, in the farm, in the packing house, in the wholesaler, tons and tons of billions of tons, quite literally, of product out there that I could source and sell to consumers uh, via home subscription. So that's what I started about six and a half years ago. And uh, we started in one, one route outside of Washington, D.C. called Tacoma Park. And today we're in about uh, eight cities or so. So it's been quite a journey, and Shark Tank has definitely helped us in that journey. Amazing. And so when did, when did the Shark Tank um, episode air? 
It originally aired January 8th, 2016. So we're coming up actually on the five-year anniversary. So the update that aired this past Friday on the 4th, uh, that was almost five years to the day of uh, when, when we aired. Amazing. And so you got a deal from Robert, right? Robert Archivik? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And what was his deal exactly? So I went into the tank asking for 5% for $50,000 and came out with 10% for $100,000 uh, from, from Robert. He was really excited about the mission. He told this story. I don't think this made the cut on the show, um, but he told this story of when he was giving me his offer of how he had once actually lived in a homeless shelter uh, when he was at a very depressed time in his life to kind of reset his perception on how good he had it. And that really connected him to what our mission is, as of, of helping solve food insecurity and, and helping those that um, you know, don't have the means to buy produce or, or want produce but don't have the transportation to. And so that that's what he kind of preempted his offer with, and that really stuck, and so he accepted it, and he's been a, a terrific partner. He shows a lot of care and empathy for his, for his entrepreneurs. Um, we've worked with his team on various things, on connections to other folks in our industry that we might not have an introduction to, to running marketing ideas or finance ideas uh, past them. So they've, been, they've, they've provided some really good resources over the past few years since we've been working with the Hertzweck Group. Let's move on to how, how it works. Sure. So we are a produce delivery service um, on a mission to fight food waste and hunger. So you can log on to our website, hungryharvest.net. Uh, we just recently updated it and we're, uh, you know, we like the experience a lot. So you can sign up for an account there if we deliver to your area. Currently, north to south, we're Detroit, Philly, Baltimore, D.C., Richmond, Raleigh, Charlotte, Miami, and we're expanding to more cities soon. Um, and then you can sign up for weekly or biweekly. We have eight different options. We have organic options, veggie options, uh, or recovered options for all different sizes. And you can customize each harvest. You can choose more of what you like, plus what you don't like. Um, we have marketplace items uh, such as bread and eggs and pesto and other uh, uh, sort of pantry items as well. And then for every box you know, we deliver to you, um, you're helping fund programs that are really helping folks that are food insecure. And one of those programs is called Produce in a Snap. And this is, an, this is a program we started about four years ago where we're actually going into, we, we did a lot of research <clears throat> on what the best solution uh, that we could offer to food insecurity was. And we realized that donations aren't really cutting it. There are a lot of folks that really donate produce and donate a lot of things. And we certainly donate thousands of pounds per week as well. But the more we donate, that's not really going to solve food insecurity. Be more of a, uh, it's more of a one-time stopgap emergency solution instead of an ongoing one. And so Produce and Snap is we basically partner with different organizations, hospitals, community centers, schools, um, and clinics to set up produce stands, uh, basically a farmer's market stands um, in these areas of high food insecurity. Set them up once a week. We're selling the same produce that we sell to our normal customers uh, at, at steep discounts, um, and so it's basically at cost or low cost. And for folks that don't have access to transportation to drive to a grocery store, or there's no grocery store within that area, provides a really easy way to just get some simple, basic uh, uh, produce uh, into their into their meals, into their daily lives. So that that program has had a lot of success. We've served, I think, about 30,000 individuals um, through that program over the past few years. So continues to grow and, and be really a strong part of our mission. And is that um, produce in a snap based primarily in Maryland and in, in, in Baltimore? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's based in Baltimore and we're working on expanding it to other markets as well. So when the people go on and they choose the, the, the side, what they want exactly, their preferences, um, is it all kind of the, the, the uglier stuff that has been left behind by a farmer or in the wholesale um, 
stage. And I'm saying ugly, but you know what I mean. I'm putting that in quotes. Sure. So that's that is central to to what you do. No. Yeah. yeah sure. Um, so we have a few different reasons of why produce goes to waste. Uh, the main main three are overproduction. So farmers have uh, they they can't really predict the weather or the environmental factors that are going to happen to their farm. Uh, they also they usually are not contracted to uh, clear their whole fields. They're contracted to, to grow. Those that are contracted to grow, um, usually you know, 70, 80 percent of it. So if they grow more than that, then they have an overabundance abundance and need a buyer ASAP basically to harvest it. Um, or if, you know, the, the other reason is adverse weather. So uh, if there's if right before a sugar, uh, a sugar snap pea harvest, it gets really windy. The snap peas are actually heavy enough so that they'll brush against the branches and get all this wind and mechanical damage. Now, grocery stores won't accept that, but they still taste the exact same, right? Or if there's uh, an early frost, we see early frost reasons for produce going to waste all the time, uh, especially up north in like in in uh, the Hudson Valley and where a lot of fruit is grown. Um, if there's an early frost, farmers have to harvest their whole fields uh, before typically they would, and so there's an overproduction in the market, and so a lot of that produce would go to waste. The other reasons are um, produce just grows ugly, for example. Uh, carrots grow twisted shapes, and potatoes grow all different shapes and sizes. Apples have scarring on the outside, but it doesn't affect the quality or taste. You don't see that at retail stores. Um, oranges, grapefruits, the same thing. And then the, the, the final reason is actually the separation at, um, at the, the packing house. So packing houses are where they sort uh, you know, perfect-looking produce from normal-looking produce, and the straight carrots from the crooked carrots – so to the, you know, if you were going in the grocery store and you saw all the carrots lined up uh, and they're all the same size and shape, if there were one there that was a little bit crooked or a little bit off, you might not pick that one. But if you put two off-looking carrots in the same box, you're not going to notice that they're, you know, quote-unquote ugly. Um, so it's really a perception thing we, we found with consumers that to most of our consumers, they're pleasantly surprised that actually a lot of things that we're putting in their box uh, look fresh and beautiful or not, you know, nearly, uh, they're not, you know, going bad or anything. They're um, they don't know why they wouldn't make it to a grocery store. And so that's, uh, that's kind of the harvest experience uh, for folks. Okay, great. Um, and you might have touched upon this already, but what is your, what has your impact been so far? If can you sort of, um, is there mm -hmm. a way of, of estimating that? Yeah, we, we've uh, donated and subsidized uh, about almost 2 million pounds uh, to date um, through, you know, programs of produce and snap and, uh, one called the emergency food box, which we started during COVID as kind of a replacement for produce and snap and through donations as well. And then total, we've recovered about 26 million pounds of produce from going uh, to waste either in the field or, in the, or even worse in the landfill. So it's, uh, it's been, you know, very impactful and thoughtful and meaningful journey that the whole team has put on to get the business to this point. And that's actually amazing. <laughs> so let me just Thanks. stop you right there. I think that's that's very impressive. Um, what about the challenges? And 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 along with that, I am going to bring in the COVID challenges. And you just mentioned another initiative that came about um, as a result of it. But what would you say, first of all, the general challenges that you face, and then more specifically during this crazy time? Yeah, the the challenges we face are a lot. I mean, we we, we face uh, a lot of competition. Um, there's always supply chain challenges and issues. There's Issues, you know, again, we just launched a website and we think it works, but there's some parts of it that, that, that don't. So kind of running a business day to day, you, you run into things that we, we have this grand vision of, of building an efficient, inclusive food system where produce is not left out and people are not left behind. And on the way to fulfilling that vision, there are so many obstacles day to day, week to week, month to month, and even year to year uh, that we can't really experience. 
Um, COVID presented a unique set of challenges where our demand actually spiked uh, because of COVID. A lot of people didn't want to go to the grocery store looking for a solution to get delivered at home. Um, and we actually ran out of capacity uh, in our warehouse. We never used to have a, sh a night shift in our production, and we had to add an emergency night shift, which turned into a permanent night shift um, those first few weeks. So I was in the warehouse you know, with uh, a few non-operations-focused team members packing boxes for those first few weeks and uh, making sure that folks can get their harvest. And I'm really proud of the, the work that we did those first few weeks of, of March or last few weeks of March, first few weeks of April, because um, a lot of people were scared. They didn't know about this virus. They didn't know what was going on in the world. They didn't want to leave their house. And we were able to be a, you know, a source of stability in their, li in their life, mainly due to the hard work of the teammates that we had here, uh, staying up night over night, um, packing boxes and going back to their day jobs during the day. Uh, so that was for sure a challenging time, but it was, uh, I guess, fulfilling is, is the right word to know that we were you know, helping so many people get access to produce uh, during that, uh, some would say, treacherous or scary time. That's awesome. And so, and, and I did notice when I went on your website that the produce in a snap was on hold for the moment due mm -hmm. to COVID, but yeah. you, what, what were you doing instead? What was the other program? So it, it, it's called the emergency food box. And basically we went to the same partners that we use for, for produce and snap. It's obvious that, you know, for produce and snap, people don't want, hospitals don't want people congregating, schools are right. closed, community centers are closed, et cetera. So there's no way for people to get food. So we went to these, some of these partners, uh, such as Johns Hopkins, University of Maryland Medical Center, a bunch of nonprofits in, in Baltimore and throughout. I mean, we're, we're working with uh, Chapel Hill School District in, in Detroit, some schools up there um, to distribute some of these boxes. And basically, they have a lot of funding from for food that they're not using. And so we gave them a really easy alternative and said, why don't you guys buy boxes in bulk from us at a steeply discounted price and use your site as distribution centers. And so that's exactly what they did. Um, we've served about 70,000 folks through that program and uh, throughout COVID. So we've been really lucky to have partnered with uh, a lot of great organizations and done some great work. And uh, we've been, again, fortunate to see our demand spike during COVID and not our business slow down like a lot of other folks. So we felt we all felt as a team we have a responsibility to really help people in need, especially during this time. Um, so that's that's kind of where this program originated from. Great. And it's continuing on, I guess, as COVID continues on. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, people are still um, are still food insecure and yeah. you know, COVID has still shut down a lot of jobs. So we are uh, we're still working very strong in that program. OK. Um, future plans. You mentioned uh, you touched upon uh, some expansion possible into other cities. Is that uh, still your vision or what it what is what is your next uh, few years look like in your mind? Yeah, we're, we're targeting more cities. Um, you know, on the parts of the country uh, that were tangential in so more, more of the southeast, more of the Midwest. Um, and the reason we go city by city is really we really want to make a difference in each local economy. And we hire local drivers to make our deliveries. Uh, we source from local vendors. We work with local partners. So each city is, is really want to make our own food economy that helps make it more efficient and involves the local community as, as well. So we're going city by city, uh, expanding throughout the country. Um, we have a wait list that folks can sign up for if they're not in our current delivery zones. It also helps us, more people that sign up from a certain city, that also helps us identify which cities would work best for us. So that's kind of the vision for the next few years, expanding more to more cities, adding more product features, and uh, really making the customers happier. And that's uh, that's kind of the core of the whole business. You're not coming to Canada anytime soon, are you? I'm based on uh, I, 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 <laughs> I wish. No, Canada is, is a great market for us, but 
we're not exactly uh, <laughs> poised for international expansion at the current moment. I so, understand. I understand. Uh, I had to ask, though. I had to ask. Yes. Yeah, sure, um, sure. And just one last thing. We, we sometimes uh, ask folks that we speak to lessons learned specifically for social entrepreneurs. And you might – some people say it's the same lesson they would have learned as a regular traditional entrepreneur. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that. You do focus – you know, when you do mention your, your – uh, your, your status as a social entrepreneur is important to you and, and the role that it plays and, and, you know, it always has been. So I am curious if you've taken away any specific lessons on how to be successful as one. Yeah, I mean, it's, there, there's so many lessons I've learned. Uh, I, can, I, I can't say that we've been, uh, you know, we've been successful to a certain degree, but when you look at our total mission and what we're trying to accomplish, we're, we've right. still got a, a ways to go, right? Absolutely. Um, so one of those is is uh, you can't have uh, any mission without margin. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs, tend to focus on their mission a lot, uh, and the mission becomes more tenable uh, to accomplish when you have cash flow coming in, when you have customers, when you have a product that works. So it's really important to focus on um, you know what is your product, how does the business operate, and how do you fit the mission into that. Really well-designed businesses, actually social businesses, you don't have to sacrifice profits for uh, your, your your mission. The more your profits increase, the more your revenue increases, the more your company grows. Your mission grows as well. You're not sacrificing one for the other. A clear example of that, just not to go on, just a quick uh, example is yeah, yeah. Coca-Cola is uh, they you know they exist to make a profit. They make a, a product that you know is uh, they sell, and then they go and do good work in uh, Africa where they're building clean water drinking wells, right? But there is, there is inherently an opposite incentive, right? The more wells that they're, they're building, um, the less profit they're making. A well-designed business uh, or social, social business with a mission built in you know, will have both incentives aligned, right? right. So that's one of the lessons Absolutely. I learned. Um, it's a probably, good lesson. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> probably the main one is just being resilient. Um, you, you know, when you're trying to accomplish a grand mission and you're fighting the day-to-day challenges of – uh, for example, today, you know, some folks are writing in that they can't reset their password, right? And like we need it, we need that to happen. And uh, we we we're we're battling those things every day, and that's going to be resolved at the end of the day, and or within the next few minutes, who knows? Um, and you have to really have good resolve and not lose your nerve, and and make sure that like you're staying focused on where is this company going, not getting bogged down in the day to day. So being resilient through all these different problems that. You're experiencing. We're going to experience a whole host of problems throughout the next few years as we're building this business. Probably bigger ones than we're experiencing now. Um, the important thing is to learn from those failures, learn from those mistakes, ingrain them into your DNA of, of your culture about embracing those failures and not, you know, chastising people for them, and uh, and move on. And I think that's that's probably the most exper- important lesson that I've learned as as an entrepreneur. And lessons I think that every entrepreneur can take with them because I uh, definitely during this time of heightened challenges, I think uh, some of that we can all use. So um, thank you so much for taking time despite all that craziness and so much going yeah. on. <laughs> you took the time Absolutely. to speak with us and we really, really appreciate it. No, thank no you. worries at all. No, thank, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and changemakers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum.